The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Edmonton Elks pending free agents list. Flag football being approved for the 2028 Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Nathan Rourke possibly dressing for his first regular season NFL game. Some questionable U-sports football rankings. And we make our picks for week 20 in the CFL. But first, the Calgary Stampeders beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this past week in a game that could have seen the Riders clinch the third and final playoff spot in the West Division with a win. The Stampeders came out flat and recorded only 208 yards of net offense, but won 26-19 on the strength of six takeaways, including a pick six, from Cameron Judge. Did the game leave you wanting to praise the Stampeders or bury the Riders? I think it would be appropriate to bury the Riders. However, I think it would also be appropriate to bury the Stampeders. The real losers in this game were the fans who had to watch it. My goodness, this game was a dog. And it's unfortunate that this game was so brutal Considering the impact, you laid it out. This was supposed to be a heat. I mean, first of all, it is a rivalry game, right? These are two teams that supposedly don't like each other, coached by brothers. There's a great storyline there. You know, this is supposed to be two teams looking for redemption, two young quarterbacks looking to establish themselves as franchise guys. And they just both kind of were there. The game happened. Right. One day, which is hopefully a very far into the distant future, when the history of the CFL is written, this game will not get a mention. This game will not even be a footnote. It was a terrible game. The Riders took advantage a little bit early when the stamps came out flat. And then you laid it out. The Riders six, six turnovers is is wild. The Jake Dolagala interception pick six to Cam Judge, you mentioned, was as bad of an interception as I've seen. If you watch the replay of that play. Jake Dolagala had Jamal Morrow wide open into the flat as the outlet man to his left. Instead, he stared down his receiver like young quarterbacks are apt to do, though Jake Dolagala, a fifth-year pro at this point, should not be making this mistake and threw it without seeing the linebacker trailing over in zone coverage. To me, this game was tremendously disappointing for both teams, I know you're going to talk about Craig Dickinson's bizarre comments after the game, but to me, I was hoping and begging and praying that one of these teams would step up to give us an interesting game in the West semifinal, which will likely be played in Vancouver, though it could still be technically played in Winnipeg. That didn't happen. And that's why I tweeted earlier this week that it's a travesty that Edmonton's not in the playoffs, because as much as I know Edmonton does not deserve a playoff spot we've discussed that on this show they would at least give us an interesting game in the west semifinal and i think the odds of either of these teams 
not even just keeping it close, but making it an entertaining postseason game, again, likely in Vancouver, are exceptionally low. This was a very disappointing contest for me. Well, it may not be a game that's written about in the long and storied history of the CFL, but it will be one of the darkest chapters in the Dickinson family history book <laughs> because it was an embarrassing display from both football teams. It's as if neither of these two West Division teams has any interest in going to the playoffs. I mean, the drops from Calgary's receivers alone, especially in that first half, there's some plays there that are unforgivable. I can't believe that bad. professional football players are doing things like that on a professional football field. But as you alluded to, Hodge, my biggest takeaway from this game was the comments from Craig Dickinson after the game. And I've said before on this show, I generally like Craig Dickinson. He's a affable guy. He is nice to the media. I think he's been widely applauded for the way he's carried himself in Regina. And that's all true. But boy, when he's at the podium right now, he feels like a dead man walking. He feels like a guy who has given up. There were a few of these post-game comments that were absolutely ludicrous, saying, uh, there's not a negative thing I can say about this game. What? Excuse me. <laughs> Your team had six turnovers. He turned the ball over six times, Dickie. He he went over to, went on to say, except, you know, we made a few mistakes, but when you play a football game, there's going to be mistakes. So if you think about it, there's no such thing as a perfect football game. So we played a perfect football game. Good, good logic there, Craig. And then to say that next week's game is going to be difficult to get motivated for because they know that their fate is out of their hands in terms of the playoff race. Are you kidding me? If if BC beats Calgary the day before, Saskatchewan can clinch a playoff spot with a win over Toronto. How is that difficult to get motivated for? This is do or die for you. Like, this is the moment that can send you to the postseason if the cards fall right. So that was a ridiculous comment in and of itself. And then, of course, his solution to it all, how he's going to get his team ready, well, maybe I'll take the bowling, which I don't think is the worst idea from a fundamental standpoint. I understand that team building is a great thing to do, but that's not something you say to the media publicly after your sixth loss in a row. As your team is collapsing and seeing their playoff hopes die on the vine, you cannot say that publicly in that circumstance. And it almost feels to me like Craig Dickinson got some backlash last year when he criticized his team. Um, we wrote about it on three down nation. There was some firing back and forth there. Nick Marshall in particular was not happy with the comments that his coach made saying things like we haven't beaten anybody real and, and, and things of that nature. And his response this season has been, well, I'm just going to be overly positive about the team, no matter what happens. And this was a manifestation of that in my mind. And right now it looks like a team that doesn't have any energy and a coach that's unwilling to kick them in the butt. Yeah, this team just doesn't look like they care, to to be perfectly honest. It's 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 disheartening. And that's one of the reasons why I do think we're going to get big changes this offseason in Saskatchewan, to me, I'll focus on the Stampeders receivers because, by goodness, they were that. I think that was the worst game I've ever seen 
from a group of CFL receivers on one team. Now, it should be noted that Reggie Bagleton did not play due to injury. Also, Tommy Lee Lewis is no longer with the team. Uh, TSN reported that he is awaiting the birth of a child. That's why he didn't return from the club's recent bye. But, I mean, like, like this club, I mean, first of all, Jake Mayer completed 17 of 29 passes. Not an amazing percentage, but... You know, guys who caught less uh, half or less than half of their targets, Colton Hunchak, Cole Tucker, Mark and Michelle, Floyd Allen, Luther Hakadavanu, caught two of three, but had a bad, bad drop. Like, like this offense was abysmal. This group is coached by Hall of Fame receiver Nick Lewis, who is known for having one of the best sets of hands, arguably in CFL history, right? Nobody ever saw Nick Lewis as a deep threat. He was a possession receiver through and through, find the tough spot, make the tough catch and get down or absorb the hit. That is how Thick Nick made his living in the CFL for over a decade. That's what got him into the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying that all of his receivers have to play at a Hall of Fame level, but my goodness, these guys have to at least play at a professional level. They did not look like they were playing at a professional level against Saskatchewan with all of those drops. And I know our guy, Ryan Valentine, a reporter out of Calgary, defends Jake Mayer on a regular basis because he is the victim of so many drops. I still think Jake Mayer has had a disappointing season overall, but I will give him some credit in that the numbers that he's put up would be better if he was not the victim of so many drops this season. I would venture to say Calgary certainly has the most of all nine teams. My goodness, they had some bad ones this past week. And just another reason why this game was a dog, JC. It was a dog. That's clearly why Jake Mayer throws so many interceptions is because he knows at least those balls will be caught. <laughs> those balls have a decent chance of being caught. I'd like I'd like the targets towards his own players. Let's move on to some good news. Flag football has officially been approved as a sport for the 2028 Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles. Football Canada President Jim Mullen called the decision, quote, transformative for our game, close quote, while CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi said he can't wait to see Team Canada compete against the world's best in L.A. What are your thoughts on the change? I'm going to take a little bit of a, a nuanced approach here because whenever it comes to flag football, I actually have some mixed feelings. And I want to start with the positive because I do think this is a fantastic uh, decision by the Olympic Games and, and great news for the sport in general. Anytime you can get on a world stage like that, and I know a lot of people will say, well, the U.S. is just going to win gold in this sport or, or whatever it may be. This is a highly competitive game, flag football. And as recently as last year, you know, Team Mexico came up with a win on the women's side and, and took home the gold medal. So there's going to be a number of, of top squads competing. It should be a competitive tournament and it's going to be great exposure for the game of football. And even more so if these rumors about the NFL being able to get their athletes into the games, obviously that will make it slightly less competitive, but it will also bring a higher profile to the game. So that's all positive. And I think when you have people watching a form of football or getting engaged with a form of football, it can be a pipeline to the regular tackle football game. My concerns with flag football as a former lineman, as a guy who has coached both the tackle and the flag game, is it can be a little bit exclusionary. And so when we get moves towards more flag and less tackle football, I think we do lose 
something of what makes this sport great, right? Which is that kids of all shapes and sizes can find a role on a football field, especially athletes who, let's let's face it, are frankly not built or not mobile enough for a lot of other sports. The big guys up front who can thrive in football. Well, I've, I've been a part of, of youth flag teams where you know, a larger kid has come out with his friends and is left demoralized, has left less likely to play sports going forward because he is having negative experience, not being able to contribute in that sort of fast paced, widespread passing first game. So when it comes to flag football, I think it has a lot of benefits. I think it has developmental benefits. I think it can be a gateway, but we have to be careful not to make it the only gateway to not push it as the only option and the only path or the primary path, because I think it can be troublesome for a lot of kids as well. Certainly kids like myself, it was it's not a game that I would have excelled at. And I've seen that firsthand with some youth. Well, I can't relate to what you're saying. Cause I was a gazelle out there, JC. <laughs> I I'm a Ferrari just waiting to be taken out of the garage. And uh, that, 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 that's a joke, by the way, I was, I was a slow child. Uh, but I will say I am bullish on this because I do think this will attract obviously international eyes, and I do think it will provide a further step for some athletes who just don't pursue the tackle angle as much for one reason or another. We have had great players come through Canadian U Sports and just be a little bit undersized, right, for the CFL game. Brilliant receivers who boast great speed, but they're five foot seven and they weigh 155 pounds. That that body type, unless you are Brandon Banks and you have that unbelievably elite level of athleticism, you're not going to make it in the professional ranks. Teams are simply not looking for, they're not coveting that body type. We've also seen some players retire due to concerns out of, you know, concussion, right? Out of these type of physical, violent injuries, not soft tissue stuff, which of course can still happen in the flag game, but players not wanting to play tackle football for their cognitive health and well-being. So I do think that this provides not only a greater base of talent to draw from from the tackle game, people eventually making the jump from flag to tackle, but I do think it opens up some interesting avenues for athletes who do tackle football for, for a long period of time, potentially even at a high level, who for one reason or another want to pursue a different type of game. So I am bullish on this. I will also say I'm bullish on this for quarterback development, giving the opportunity for quarterbacks to play in an environment where they're not going to take as many hits, I think can be beneficial, especially at, you know, say the, the, the middle school and high school level. Um, this, you know, I, I think anything that gets more people playing this game is positive. So I am bullish on this. I will say one thing to note, and you mentioned it's unclear if the NFL will allow its players to participate. The games are slated for the third and fourth weeks of July 2028. The NFL has the benefit of that obviously not overlapping with their season. The CFL season starts in June and ends in November. And as much as the league has talked about wanting to move the season up, they're never going to move it up far enough that it's done by the second week of July. So if the CFL were to send players to the Olympics, which I know a lot of fans would like to see, 
this would, first of all, not only mean at least a two-week shutdown of the CFL as a whole, but these teams are also going to need to practice, right? It's not like you show up the first day of Olympics and you play. So I have a hard time seeing this working for a CFL team or CFL uh, player who's under contract. But maybe we'll see something like if a player wants to go play in the Olympics, maybe they time it so that they become a free agent February 2028, and then they sign a CFL contract in August. That's something that I could see players looking to do in order to get down to those games, if that is something they do, in fact, desire or covet. Though, obviously, we are still five years away from having to cross that bridge. But I'm interested to see how that develops. I'm very interested in that particular aspect as well. And I don't think allowing CFL athletes to go to these games would require a full shutdown of the games. I mean, this is five-man flag. Presumably the rosters are about 10 players. So take out whichever NFL guys are going to be attending on behalf of Team Canada in this scenario where professional athletes are allowed to go. And you're probably missing seven, six, maybe even just five guys from the CFL. So that would really be on a team-by-team basis. And you may have a couple from other countries that that go to represent their squads as well. But it's not going to be a mass exodus of players as if it was a tackle tournament and Team Canada had to fill a roster full of, of you know, 45-plus guys. That's not, not what's going to be taking place here. Now, will a team want to let, I don't know, a Tyson Philpot go down if you're the Montreal Alouettes? I think that would be a tough sell when every game matters. But I can very realistically see the scenario that you laid out there, Hodge, where I'm a guy who's potentially on the fringe. Maybe I'm not even a starter in the CFL. I'm not a, not going to make huge bucks. But, hey, I have a chance to make the Olympic squad if I don't sign this contract right now. To a lot of guys, I think that would be an intriguing option. And I could imagine players sitting out for the first couple months of the season if they thought they had a shot at playing in Los Angeles. We could also potentially see even handshake deals, right? Teams saying, yeah, we'll cut you on Canada Day and you'll sign back with us on August 1st. I'm not sure the league would love that, but again, we're five years away. And and you do make a good point. It's not like there would be the entire league going like you see, you know, for instance, when, when the NHL permitted its players to play in the Winter Olympic Games. And though I should point out the league has made an effort to get more international players into the CFL. And so you would not just have Canadians going down, but you would potentially have some Americans and you'd potentially have guys from all over the world going to, to participate. Maybe not so much with the linemen for the reasons you laid out, but we shall see. I'm, I'm excited to see how this develops. Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, Trevor Lawrence suffered a knee injury late in Sunday's win over the Indianapolis Colts and is considered day-to-day ahead of Thursday's game against the New Orleans Saints. Tom Pelissero is reporting that Jacksonville has signed practice roster quarterback Nathan Rourke to their 53-man roster as insurance if Lawrence is unable to play. That would mean Rourke would make his NFL regular season debut against the Saints. What do you think of that, Hodge? 
Well, first of all, it's very exciting for Nathan Rourke. He's going to get a game check for this. I, I should say, being on the 53 doesn't necessarily mean you dress, right? NFL teams get a number of scratches. In the CFL, you get one. In the NFL, it's often seven. So just because he's been elevated does not mean he'll dress. But it does mean that he'll get a full game check, and it does mean that he'll be closer to playing, right? The NFL has a new rule this season that permits teams to take a guy who they scratched and if they're a quarterback and their first two guys get hurt, put them into the game. And this was done, of course, from last season when the San Francisco 49ers entered quarterback injury hell during the playoffs and arguably kind of ruined that that playoff game. So I would obviously be excited to see Nathan Work get under center. I don't think that'll happen. But if Trevor Lawrence is unavailable, let's remember, they're playing Thursday. This is a very short turnaround. They beat the Colts on Sunday. They're playing in New Orleans on Thursday. The Saints, by the way, have one of the top defenses in the CFL. Nathan Shepard, Canadian out of Ajax, Ontario, is starting for them at nose tackle. This is a good game, in my opinion, for the Jaguars to say, you know what? Trevor Lawrence is our franchise guy. We want him to be our franchise guy for the next 12 years. We play in a soft division. There's no need to play him for a random Thursday night game. This would be a great opportunity to start. C.J. Beathard, the veteran backup who they've had there for a couple of years. And who knows? If something happens to Beathard, maybe we do see Nathan work. I can't wait. Uh, it'll be very exciting, and, and even if Rourke doesn't see the field and Beathard does, I think that is a positive step because if Beathard doesn't go out there and lights light it up, if he goes out there and has some struggles as he has in the past when he's had to start, then maybe that makes Jacksonville a little bit more flexible in the future in terms of who they want lined up as their backup quarterback. Clearly, they like a lot of what they saw from Rourke in the preseason, but they skew towards the known commodity. Well, if the known commodity isn't performing like you want it to, that maybe changes your plans going forward. So as long as Lawrence doesn't make a miraculous recovery and step out there and try and play through the injury, then I think this is a positive for Nathan Rourke in all capacities. Well, let's remember when Rourke went down to Jacksonville, a few people questioned, you know, why would you go to a place where there is very clearly a franchise guy in place? Lawrence, for those who don't know, was the first overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft out of Clemson, was considered arguably the best can't-miss surefire quarterback prospect in at least five years, possibly as long as since 1998 when Peyton Manning was the first overall pick in the NFL draft out of Tennessee. So obviously Rourke is not unseating Lawrence. However, Lawrence, or pardon me, Rourke felt as though there was some, uh, you know, insinuation, some guarantee from the team that he might get some playing time or at least be able to, to, to unseat Beathard as the backup. And then after he reported a training camp, played well in the preseason, head coach Doug Peterson said, oh, no, no, he's never been a candidate to be the backup. Our backup is C.J. Beathard. So the team either talking out of both sides of their mouth or Rourke potentially misunderstanding the arrangement, one of the two. Uh, but regardless, we did also say when Peterson made those comments, it's easy to say that now. If Beathard goes out there and stinks up the joint, in his first opportunity, it's very easy to go to Rourke. 
it's not easy to do the opposite where you give this, this Canadian kid out of the CFL a chance and he stinks it up. And then everyone goes, Whoa, you got this veteran backup. You just paid him $2 million guaranteed on his contract. Why wouldn't you go with him? So it's easy to go Bethard work. It's a lot harder as the coach or the personnel department to justify going from Rourke to Bethard. So we'll see what happens. If Bethard goes out there, stinks up the joint or gets hurt against the saints, who knows if we see Nathan Rourke and, I think he would be the first Canadian-born quarterback to take snaps in the NFL since since who? Jesse Palmer? Oh, that's probably true. Yeah, Brett Rippon is is Canadian-American but was not born in Canada. Yeah. I'm actually not sure he's officially done the paperwork. He's just eligible for Canadian citizenship. Yeah. I'd have to double-check that. But Canadian-born quarterbacks have not taken snaps in the NFL for a very long time. That would be very exciting for our country and, unless you're counting john ryan who is the last canadian to well throw he threw back. a pass that is a lot different than being a quarterback especially because some quarterbacks don't throw touchdown passes that's true yeah it's not a requirement no technically not just ask like nathan peterman the edmonton elks will play their final regular season game on saturday as they have a bye in the final week of the year in week 21 JC, you will be reporting the team's pending free agent list on Sunday morning, as Three Down Nation will do for every team come the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. Though we won't get into the full list quite yet, our listeners will have to wait for Sunday. Who is the player Edmonton needs to re-sign the most? I think Edmonton's actually in a pretty good position in the sense that a lot of their young pieces have multiple years left or are already under contract. But there's a couple of veterans, too, in fact, that I think are important to bring back based on what they've brought to that team this year. And that's defensive back Luchez Purifoy and defensive end AC Leonard. Those two guys, I think, have been game changers on defense at their you know more advanced age. They're veteran present. They're leaguers. AC Leonard has looked fantastic off the edge. His got in on some tight end sets and Purifoy, especially when you move him down and let him play in the box as that strong side linebacker is truly a difference maker and has been every stop along his career. I think the further back you move him from the football, the less effective he is. But if you get him in more creative looks like Chris Jones loves to do, he can be a real difference maker. And he has proven that on multiple occasions this season, you could argue that those two guys are Edmonton's two best defensive players. And I think there's more gas left in the tank for both of them. To me, I'm going to go with a slightly different angle. I'm going to take Thomas Jack Cardilla out of Buffalo, who's the team's first round pick back in 2020. He has become a full-time starter this year, had started games previously, but I think has looked really good at the guard position. I'm not sure he's an all-star necessarily, but this is a team that doesn't have a ton of depth along that offensive line right now. David Foucault, who's a starter for them, will turn 35 next season. Brett Boyko is over 30. Josiah St. John is over 30. So this is a team that I don't think can afford to just let blue chip offensive linemen walk there. I don't think there are really any teams in the CFL, quite honestly, who could afford to do that but the Elks are certainly not one of them. It is a bumper crop this year. The 2024 CFL draft class is very deep along the offensive line, but why bother letting a 27-year-old 
walk right now. To me, Thomas Jack Cordilla is their number one priority to re-sign. Though I do think your defensive selections make a lot of sense. I agree with Thomas Jack Cordilla as well. And the, the one other name I'll throw out there uh, as an under-the-radar one is, is Tanner Green, the fullback out of Concordia. Uh, doesn't get a lot of headlines, doesn't get a lot of accolades, but I think he's been a very good special teamer for them over the last number of years and has been exceptional this last stretch of the season. I think that's a name that I would circle and say, I'd like a guy like that back in the building. Tanner Green out of Concordia. If you want a fullback, go to the RSCQ. That's, that's the way that you do it. The fullbacks out of the RSCQ generally have been fantastic. Only five teams in that Canadian conference, but they have churned out an unbelievable amount of players at that position. And one thing I will say that we've talked about on this show for years, JC, that we've heard from fans for years, is they didn't like how many players were going to free agency each year. That's why on the most recent CBA, which was ratified ahead of the 2022 season, the CFL made it possible for veteran players returning to their same teams to sign deals that had guaranteed money, right? That had some guarantee from the team. And guess what? The Elks only have 18 pending free agents. Yes, that list is still not short, but it is significantly shorter than a lot of the lists we've seen over the last few years where you had literally between 30 and 40 players on each team going to free agency. The preliminary work I've done on other teams' free agent lists also shows the same thing. Generally, we have fewer players going to free agency. So that should be music to the ears of many CFL fans who, again, we've heard for years, wanted fewer players in free agency, wanted more continuity on their rosters to allow players to you know, become known in that community, for fans to buy jerseys of their favorite players, to trust that their favorite players were going to be around for the long term and not necessarily bounce from this team to that team to the other team every single year. So that is very positive. Now, I will say there might be some fans at Edmonton who do actually want a lot of turnover given how the last couple seasons have gone, but uh, at least the second half of the season, the Elks have been solid. It's now time for our picks. JC, the BC Lions are eight and a half point favorites over the Calgary Stampeders on Friday when the two teams face off at BC Play Stadium. Calgary can clinch a playoff spot with a win and a Saskatchewan loss, while a BC victory would force Winnipeg to win at least one of their two remaining games to clinch first in the West Division. Which team will get it done? I think this has to be the Lions, right? If it was a stronger opponent, I might have doubts, but BC proved last year again or last week against Hamilton that they still have the fire. They still have the ability to beat top opponents, and Calgary is not a top opponent. So they're going to come out here with a little less to play for, but still stake in the game. Vernon Adams Jr., I think, is going to play despite the knee injury, but even if he wasn't, Dang Evans is more than enough to beat the lowly Stampeders. I think this is going to put the playoff race into the hands of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders once again. Yeah, I see the BC Lions winning and covering here, and that's not just because Calgary was completely unable to catch passes this past week. I just think the BC Lions are a motivated team. I think they have a big chip on their shoulder. From that loss a couple weeks ago to Winnipeg, this team does not want to miss any opportunity to finish first in the West. Yes, their chances of finishing first are very small. Winnipeg has 
Edmonton and Calgary for their two remaining games. I think they're likely to win at least one, if not both of those contests. They only need to win one to clinch first place, regardless of what the Lions do. But the Lions go first here. They're not going to miss this opportunity. I certainly think they win, and I'm even happy to take them minus eight and a half. As much as that is a big spread, I don't think the Lions see this as a meaningless game. I think they'll get it done. The Toronto Argonauts are nine and a half point road favorites over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Saturday at Mosaic Stadium. The Argos have a three and one record over their past four meaningless games, though it remains unclear who will start at quarterback. The Riders have lost six straight games, though they could clinch a playoff spot with a win and a Calgary loss. Can the Argos keep rolling despite having nothing to play for? I did some soul searching when thinking about this game. I went, Wow, if Cameron Dukes is the guy who starts, does this change what I think of this matchup? Does that give the Saskatchewan Rough Riders a glimmer of hope and a chance? And no, it doesn't, because the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have folded up tent. That locker room is done with football right now. I don't think they have a shot, regardless of who is under center for the Argos. The only difference, I will say, is if Cameron Dukes is playing I think Saskatchewan can cover in this game, but if he if it's Chad Kelly, they don't have a shot in hell. The rumor mill a few weeks ago suggested that Chad Kelly was going to play Toronto's home games and not play their road games, and that has actually borne out well. He did not start in Toronto's loss in Winnipeg. However, he did play in both of the team's home games, the win over Edmonton, the win over Ottawa. To me, this is a game that Cameron Dukes is likely to start. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying that as a fact, but I expect Cameron Dukes will start. The catch is Cameron Dukes played well the last time we saw him. He looked very, I was very impressed with him. He didn't make a ton of crazy dynamic throws, but he looked like he was operating Ryan Dinwiddie's offensive system extremely efficiently. He did not look like a raw rookie in the CFL. There was poise. There was confidence. He was accurate. He's able to move the ball with his feet better than I think some of Winnipeg's defenders anticipated he would. So for that reason, I am taking the Argos to win. I'm also doing that because I've gone on the record saying I didn't think Saskatchewan was going to win another game this year. And I will say, though, I think the Riders can cover this spread with Dukes at the helm. It is a wide spread, especially at nine and a half points. I'm happy to take Saskatchewan plus a minimum of eight. If it comes below eight, I would take Toronto to cover, but I will take Toronto to win, Sask to cover. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are 12-point home favorites over the Edmonton Elks on Saturday in what will be Edmonton's final game of the season. The Blue Bombers can clinch first place in the West Division with a victory and won their first two meetings of the season with the Elks, one of which came with Trey Ford under center. Who you got? I've got the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to win this game, and that's no disrespect to the Elks, who, again, have played well for the last half of the season. They didn't obviously get it done enough to push for a postseason spot. Their loss to Montreal last week I thought was, frankly, quite disappointing. But with that being said, I mean, this club, I mean, they're, they're still 4-4 four and four in their last eight games, which is more than you could say for, for at least one team that will be heading to the postseason this year. So I like the Bombers to win. I also like them to cover. I think Winnipeg is going to come out here looking in front of a raucous crowd at IG Field to make a statement that they are going to host 
the West final. I still think Trey Ford will keep things interesting. But despite the 12-point spread, I'm going to take the Bombers to cover here because I think they are just that jacked up to to cover this spread. Or to, pardon me, to, to, to not only not only make the playoffs, but make a statement about making the playoffs. You smell that, Hodge? <laughs> what am I smelling, JC? Maybe it's just me, but to me, it reeks like a trap game in here. Oh, please don't tell me you're taking Edmonton. Really? I think Winnipeg has had a tendency this season to come out flat in games where you thought that they should have blown out opponents. I mean, they lost to Ottawa, for God's sake, right? And the last time they played Edmonton, yeah, they won that game. But Trey Ford had him up by three touchdowns at the start before Winnipeg had to come back. You're coming off a bye and that huge win against BC. I think Winnipeg thinks they have the West entirely locked up. This is an opponent that's very easy to overlook, but also one that if you give even just an inch to with Trey Ford, that they can put up big points in a short period of time. I'm certainly taking the Elks to cover this wide, wide spread. I think they can pull the upset in this game. Wow, that is a shocking pick. JC with the hot take. I will say this. Zach Kolaris historically has not played well against Chris Jones' defenses. The game you're referring to, Edmonton had a huge lead. Drew Brown came in after Zach Kolaris went out with a neck injury, and Drew Brown was the one who led Winnipeg to that win. However, a good Zach Kolaris is a pissed-off Zach Kolaris. And so I think for that reason alone, Zach Kolaris has had this game circled on his calendar. And by the way, coming off a bye, I think is another big advantage for Winnipeg. They're rested. They're raring to go. But man, that's a shocking. By the way, could you say the name of the city I live in again? Winnipeg. Say it one more time. Winnipeg. Okay, fair enough. It sounded like you were saying Winnipeg, which is, I mean, it's fine. It's a little, I have a little speech impediment, Hodge. Don't judge oh, me. Well, then I, then I will not tease. It's time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. We're one day early on this one, but it's too good not to share. On this day in 2018, defensive back Gary Peters lined up opposite Duke Williams in a game between the Edmonton football team and the BC Lions. Peters gestured to Williams before the snap as if to taunt him and invite contact. Williams hit the line of scrimmage with a full head of steam and trucked Peters, causing the defensive back to fly backwards and land on his butt. Video of the incident went viral and has since been viewed well over 20 million times across various platforms on social media. JC, what do you remember of this play? It is a hilarious clip. And to me, I don't think I can say on air what it encapsulates, but I'll paraphrase. I think it's mess around and find out. There's a different word at the start. But that's exactly what Gary Peters experienced on that particular play. I don't think he's going to be taunting anyone like that ever again. Certainly not someone as large and as physical as Duke Williams. He picked the wrong receiver. I will say, and your assessment is correct, interestingly enough, Gary Peters, who was a little bit of a journeyman earlier in his career, has, I think, firmly established himself as one of the best shutdown defensive backs in the league. He has been fantastic at boundary corner for BC this year, despite being almost 32 years old. He turns 32 next month. Meanwhile, Duke Williams has kind of fallen off the face of the earth, right? Duke Williams is the best receiver in the CFL in 2018 or 
if not the best, certainly top three. Now, I mean, granted, he's kind of hurt, I think, in Hamilton, but the last couple of years have not gone very well for Duke Williams. So maybe in a way, Gary Peters got the last laugh. But certainly on that play, he got his butt whipped. He got embarrassed. Duke Williams, shout out for that unbelievable play, an unforgettable highlight. That's going to be shown on highlight reels for decades to come. It's now time for the three-minute drill. The UBC Thunderbirds rolled over against the previously winless Calgary Dinos this past week, losing 20-6 at McMahon Stadium, and a loss that will likely keep UBC from finishing in first place in Canada West. JC, what do you have to say for your alma mater? Come on. I have no words. There was a time in the Canada West where losing to the Calgary Dinos was not a badge of shame. This is not that time. This is not a good football team that they lost to. It was an embarrassing offensive display. I thought they got outcoached in this particular matchup. And they've lost control of that division now. I still think UBC is the best team pound for pounding it. But boy, oh boy, now they've got some extra work to do. The Toronto Argonauts signed defensive coordinator Corey Mace to a contract extension last week. How important was it to keep him... Uh, and will this prevent him from becoming a head coach in 2024? No, he could still leave, I'm sure, for a promotion. But obviously, this is important. Corey Mace, arguably the best defensive coordinator in the CFL. Ryan Dinwiddie made a great hire when he brought Mace over from the Calgary Stampeders. And, I mean, we've, we've at least I've talked to the Argos many times this year. I've been at almost all of their games, it, it seems like, outside of Toronto. And they can't say enough about their coach. They love him to death. The Lions started former Dallas Cowboys running back Jaquan Hardy for his CFL debut this past week. What did you make of his performance? I thought it was a lot better than the stat sheet would indicate. I think he only finished with about 28 yards, like a three-yard average, and then 40 yards receiving on dump-offs. But I I thought he showed some flashes of potential. Um... I just have a lot of questions about that BC offensive line's ability to run block, particularly in the schemes that they were employing in that game. I think there needs to be a big upgrade there this offseason if BC wants to get back to a situation where they can produce a thousand yard back like they had in Jacob Butler last year. Montreal Alouettes offensive lineman Pierre-Olivier Lestage spat on a member of the Edmonton Elks and was ejected from the contest. How nasty is it to spit on someone else during the game? It's gross, dude. I I like P.O. Lestage. I ran into P.O. at the rivalry game between the Montreal Carabans and Laval Rouge Ayor. Had a great conversation. Met his partner, who is going to be playing, by the way, in the Canadian, or pardon me, not Canadian, the North American Women's Professional Hockey League. I believe she got drafted by the Ottawa team. But anyways... Nasty. You can't do this, and I'm sure P.O. will not make the same mistake again. Canadian receiver Alec Aomenor set a new Stanford receiving record during his team's shocking comeback win over Colorado. How impressive was his performance? It was one of the most impressive displays I have ever seen by a college football player. 294 yards and three touchdowns, Hodge. Do you know how many yards the next highest yardage earner on Stanford had in that game? I have no idea. 38. He had 294. The next best guy had 38. 
That is incredible. He was their entire offense, and he did it all while matched up against five-star superstar Travis Hunter of the Colorado Buffaloes. This is a star-making performance for Elie Ayamana. The Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks will visit the Western Mustangs on Saturday in a clash of 7-0 teams with first place in the OUA on the line. Who's going to take it? Well, I'm going to take Western because they're at home, and you really can't go wrong picking the Western Mustangs to win when the Western Mustangs are at home. That being said, I think Wilfred Laurier deserves a ton of credit here. 7-0, they just beat the Windsor Lancers 40-6, to one of the best defenses in all of U sports. Made them look foolish to improve to 7-0. And Heck Crichton Trophy favorite, you'd have to think. Taylor Elgersma, the team's quarterback, looked great in that game. I would not be surprised if the Golden Hawks won it, though, again, I, I will take the Mustangs. The Calgary Stampeders suspended receiver and return specialist Tommy Lee Lewis after he failed to report to the team following its recent bye. Is that a substantial loss? I think it is a substantial loss. I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Lewis. Now, it appears that he's awaiting the birth of a child and, and is staying home for that reason. I'm not sure if he plans to ever return to the Stampeders. This is a guy who played a number of years in the NFL and is now well into his 30s, sort of a surprise signing by the Stampeders, and I thought was underutilized, specifically on the offensive side, so there might be some dissatisfaction there as well on his part, but hope, hopefully we do see him back because I think he has a ton of potential if utilized correctly in a CFL offense. The Alberta Golden Bears beat the Saskatchewan Huskies for the second time this season, yet Alberta still sits one spot behind Saskatchewan in the National Youth Sports Rankings. Why do you think that is, Hodge? Stupidity. This is stupid. This is stupid. I'm sorry. This is stupid. No disrespect to the people who made this list, but you did a stupid thing and you should fix it. How do you beat a team twice, have a better record than that team? Because that's always that's also a fact. The Golden Bears have the number one record in Canada West. But they're still ranked by... This is stupid. It should be fixed. This is ridiculous. Can't stand it. By the way, the Golden Bears are in Winnipeg to take on the Bisons on Friday. I can't wait to see Matthew Peterson in person, the second leading rusher of the country. He's been fantastic. He's going to be a part of this year's CFL draft class, or 2024 CFL draft class, I should say. Veteran receiver Darrell Walker made zero catches in his debut with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and was targeted only once. Do you think it's time to write him off? I think he can still contribute in a small capacity down the stretch, but I would not anticipate him signing any more big money deals in the CFL. I think his time in the league is very nearly over. The Ottawa Red Blacks allowed nine sacks against the Toronto Argonauts this past week. What does that say about the team's offensive line? It, You know, the offensive line struggled, but sacks are not an offensive line statistic. They are an offense statistic. This shows that their quarterbacks are hanging on the ball for far too long. The play calling is not good enough, and the offensive line is not winning enough matchups. So this was an all-out failure from this unit, and it's one of the reasons why I would not at all be surprised if the Red Blacks had a new offensive coordinator in 2024. That pains me to say, 
grew up in Winnipeg during the Kahari Jones MOP era. Pains me to say, but I have to be honest with our lovely and supportive and fantastic and loyal listeners. So what you're telling me is you're a Dante Bull apologist then, Hodge. Well, I mean, he struggled, and I think he's playing too heavy. I need, I think he needs to drop 20 or 30 pounds this offseason. But yes, the first overall pick in this year's draft struggled. Though it should be noted that he also replaced Zach Pelios, the second overall pick in the 2022 CFL draft, earlier this year as the starter at right tackle. So they are flipping top draft picks and hoping that one of them performs. So far, they have not done it at a high enough level. All I'll say is Pelios was in there for the first half before he got hurt and the team allowed two sacks in the second half with Dante Bullitt they allowed seven and several of those were as a direct result of Bull being too slow on his feet I think a lot of okay. concerns I had about him through the draft process have been worn out by the way he's played he's just not mobile enough when going up against speed and some of those it should be noted came against Tyrell Pigrom or came with Tyrell Pigram at quarterback, where he appeared to snap the ball, look confused, and then turtle and wait to get hit, which does no favors to anybody. Um, that being said, I don't want to bury Tyrell for one very small relief performance in a game that team had no hope of winning at that point. Anyway, I want to see how this team comes out and performs next week when we'll actually get an opportunity to see them. Because, by the way, only three games on the slate this week, obviously, only three in Week 21 as we narrowly approach the CFL playoffs, which I know our listeners are very excited for. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Donation Podcast. We will see you next week with another episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.